Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Andy Borens, former executive director of Alpha Epsilon Pi, the largest international Jewish fraternity. API Today has over 100,000 active alumni, which is a humongous organization. But when Andy first started 40 years ago, it was still very small and humble. This conversation covers why Andy spent effectively his entire 40-year career since graduating college working to grow API from 2,000 active brothers and about 50 chapters to 200 chapters, chapters in six different countries, and like I said, about 100,000 active alumni. He's been the man at the forefront of a lot of this growth for decades, and I wanted to sit down with him and ask him how he made API such a huge organization and such an internationally relevant organization over the past 40 or so years. We discuss what the secret sauce is that has led to so many successful API alumni like Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, like the founder of Home Depot, like the founder of Lyft, and many, many more examples, the founder of ESPN. We actually talk about that story in depth in this episode. Uh, and he's just a fascinating character. He has a tremendous network. He said he places over five people in new jobs a day just from people in his network, which is insane. It's a really fun conversation, and he's a character. I know you're going to have a blast listening to this conversation. So without further ado, enjoy this episode of The Lewis and Kyle Show with Andy Borens. I'm going to switch over to it now. Andy, thank you for coming on the podcast. This is going to be really fun. Wonderful. Happy to be here. I want to start high level. You know, I'm very familiar with AEPI. Obviously, I was a brother of AEPI. I still am a brother of AEPI. Of course. What is the mission of AEPI, and why is it important to you? Let's just start there with the fundamentals. The mission is very really one sentence. We create the Jewish leaders for tomorrow. Now that can be in in future rabbis or in government or in civic and and congressmen and senators and and running your city or your school board or whatever it happens to be or your business. Whatever uh, profession, uh, we want our brothers to be the leaders and make make decisions, not have decisions made for them. And you learn that in a fraternity very, very well. You're part of a group, you pay to belong, you have responsibilities, you, you run for office, you have to do it, or you're fired. Uh, it's, not, it's not like a, a job job where it's your, your salary, you don't get paid in the fraternity, but you have 20, 50, 100 guys who are helping to enable you to get the job done. And that responsibility you take very seriously. And people who don't join fraternities and do go through college and just go to school and leave at four o'clock and never never go back to campus, have no involvement, they don't get that same training that you get in a fraternity. That's really the the, the one line about what AEPI is. And so the, the purpose of like the, you know, governing body, like the kind of adults, right, that kind of oversee the happenings. The Exactly. The alumni that oversee the continuity of the, what is the role of like the alumni that oversee everything that's happening just on the college campuses? Well, there's, there's two um, sections. One is the alumni that are volunteers. So they're all doctors or lawyers or own businesses. None of them are paid. You hear these, these titles, supreme this and regional that. Every year I double their salary and they make two times nothing. <laughs> they're, they're all volunteers. And they had a great experience in whatever chapter they were from, and they want to give back. And whether they're 30 years old and they were out of school 10 years, or they're 70 years old, and they look at the, the kids as almost their grandchildren, even though they're not related to them, 
they try and, and first of all, they donate. Second of all, they bring their expertise to the national fraternity, the international fraternity, so that we can always be ahead of the game on insurance and housing and things that are real-world business aspects. We try and recruit people for our boards that have real-world business experience that will end up helping you at when you were at Alabama so that literally your experience will be the best it can. The second is the staff. Now, those are paid staff, not very much, by the way. Uh, they really do it as a labor of love. Uh, crazy for 43 years that I've done that as a, <laughs> a labor of love instead of being a stockbroker. But that's what uh, I started to do out of school and, and really never look back. And over the years, I've had hundreds of employees that I've hired for API, and they've worked one year or two years or five years or eight years or whatever, the vast majority one or two years. They get tremendous experience, and they're very close in age to the undergrads. So they really go to campus. They're, they're traveling people. They visit chapters. They may have 10 chapters or 12 chapters they work with, and they impart whatever wisdom they have on the younger guys. And because they're about the same age, that information and that, that advice is taken pretty well. You know, the, old, the old farts, uh, they, they take our advice, but with a little bit of a grain of salt. Absolutely. It's just the way it is with, uh, with kids relating to other kids much better. And we don't mind that, by the way. We, we, don't, uh, we, we know that in advance. And that's where you started. I started as right out of school. I ran out of Florida State. I started as a consultant, and I was 22 years old, and I visited again, as you know, the first chapter I visited happened to be Alabama, and then I went to Auburn, and then I went to Vanderbilt, and I remember this like it was yesterday, actually, uh, and that was 43 years ago, and uh, for the first 38 years, I worked for API as API, literally running API, and the last five years has been the foundation. So maybe for your audience, I should let you know API is in three parts. The first is Club API, which we belong to as members. And that started in 1913, as we know from Charles C. Moskowitz. The two other entities is the API Foundation, which now I'm with the API Foundation in the last five years. Uh, and that's a fundraising arm, for, mostly for scholarship for our, our brothers and for uh, Jewish events and holidays and and uh, disaster relief and all kinds of things that we help out with, the foundation. And that's, of course, uh, a tax-deductible entity. And then there's Esponda, which is our housing arm, and that uh, runs all of our properties around the world. And uh, that's a third entity. So the foundation and the Esponda exist. The foundation started in 1947. The Esponda, the beginnings of Esponda were in the 30s. They exist for, the only reason they exist is to help the club, to help AEPI. So that's, uh, I ran all three of these entities until about 10 years ago when we became so large that I, I had to hire three separate people for the three entities. It was just too much. Yeah. And that's a lot of what is really interesting to me about your story. I mean, 
you'll know the numbers better than I do. But when you started AEPI, you know, the amount of active brothers on college campuses, the amount of total alumni, the amount of active chapters compared to where it is today. Sure. It's just well, astro- an astronomical change. Well, thank you. That, that's my, my really my favorite thing. I, when, I, when I came to AEPI, we had 46 chapters and about 1,500 undergrads. When I left, we were at 193 chapters and 12,000 undergrad. And that's at, that's at one point in time. So you kind of have the, that's the, the area, the you have the area under the curve years. of like yeah. all of the, it's 12,000 people. You know, it's a trailing average of, you know, 8,000 per year, 9,000 per year that are kind of coming in and out in cohorts. So like the total Correct. number of the active body of members is now. It's, it's enormous. Hundreds and, of, a hundred thousand or something. Inter- oh, 120, 100, almost 130,000 now. And when I started, it was 40,000. I mean, it's completely different. Uh, we're we're an enormous entity, and of course now we're in Israel, and in England and Canada, and uh, we were in a couple of we were in Australia and France and as well in, in Austria and Vienna before COVID. We'll go back to these places, but that's my my um, my favorite part of of what I did and is real accomplishment. We have real we're able to restart it. At, Alabama, as an example, after after Vietnam, we went out during Vietnam, came back uh, to be able to start your chapter and many many others. Um, we're a top ten fraternity. We're the ninth largest fraternity out of seventy the seventy four fraternities. The top ten are enormously large. We're number nine, which is for a Jewish fraternity, actually of. pretty amazing. Unheard of. It's really unheard of. You consider of, that. Uh, broader demographic stats in terms of Jews relative to overall population. Correct. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's, that's the wildest thing about this is, uh, and all of our former competitors who used to be Jewish fraternities, we're larger than all of them combined. Are they, if you put them all together, we're, we're leave them in the dirt because we continue to go Jewish and strong. They went the other direction. Yeah. Let's talk about, I mean, that's a lot of what your, role as the leader of this has been was making the decisions that led to growth and consistency and having kind of strong values and sticking true to them and not compromising. What was the, exactly right. when was the discussion around being like staying Jewish? I mean, I guess that's a continuous discussion to be had. It's always people are saying, oh, you know, we could grow faster if we didn't have this constraint upon the system. But why has that been so necessary the whole time? Well, the, 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 exactly that thought process was incorrect and what the, our, com- our competitors did. They thought, well, if, we, if we're all things to all people and we rush everybody, then we'll do great. But the fact is they all went the other direction because the number one thing that fraternities are is competitive. You must have something that somebody else doesn't have. Otherwise, you're a Phi Kappa Crapper or ABC or XYZ. And that's what our competitors did. They thought, oh, we'll open up and we'll be everything. Except now they're competing with 20 other fraternities on the campus where we're not competing with anybody. We're only competing with ourselves, actually, to make sure we stay the course. And that's what the difference was. Uh, I was very, very clear that we are going to be who we say we are. We're going to be proud of it. We're going to wear it on our sleeve. We're going to scream from the rooftops. We are the Jewish fraternity, and if somebody's unhappy with it, they don't have to join. Meanwhile, we went from 2,000 to 12,000. 
and from 46 groups in to a single lifetime, yeah, in a couple, two generations or yes. however. And our competitors went exactly the way. And I told them along the way, I was you know, very friendly and cordial with with my my colleagues at these other groups, and said, "Did you take a marketing course? Did, do you <laughs> do you understand what what that that a brand, what a brand is, what a brand name is?" And you're destroying your brand that you've you're watering you it had down. for years and years. They're muddying the water, and we're we're making it clear as as looking at a, an ice sculpture. You know exactly what you have, and and we became super strong, and we are super strong. Aipi is very strong, and that's to me simple marketing. I'm a public relations major in in college, and we did did a little marketing, we did a little sales. We did a little communication, did a little psychology. To me, it's very clear. Uh, and our chapters that uh, follow this uh, prosper dramatically. Yeah, and even if they're s- smaller in number relative to the other ones on that campus, they're cohesive. Correct. Not only are they cohesive, they, they, they stand for something. They feel something. They, there's a, there's a, a group alike and similar mentality amongst the guys. And that, that makes them feel very comfortable. Um, I, I know when I went to Florida State years ago, there were maybe four or 500 Jewish kids when I went there. Now there's 4,000. But when we went home for the weekend in Miami, at Florida State's in Tallahassee, couldn't wait to get back for Sunday night's meeting because it was our family. It was, there, were, there were very few Jewish kids there, and we, we were it. We were it. Um, and uh, we had that camaraderie, we had that confidence because we were together. And when I joined, we had 25 brothers. When I left, we had 80 brothers. As the Jewish population started to increase in the, the state of Florida, now, now we have we, we had three chapters in Florida. Now you have we three have three chapters. Now just we have Florida. ten. <laughs> <laughs> now we have ten chapters in Florida. Every school, basically every school has a pie, and they're very strong. What was the, this is something that it was either Jason or Ethan had brought up a really good point, the effect of, and the importance, because I mean, your career, you've been involved with AEPI kind of most as like the anchor, but you've also been on the boards for like other Jewish organizations. What's been the role of, or the importance of like kind of AEPI as the catalyst for cementing Jewish life, like the spillover effects of of Jewish life on campus, like AEPI kind of as the wedge for making that happen? Well, I I got a a compliment once from Howard Core, who's the, the head of APAC, who's also an, an API, and his son Ben is API as well. He said that API is the Jewish bench for the future, which I thought was a, a, a very nice compliment. And so today, uh, the largest Jewish organizations in the world, the Conference of Presidents, JNF, B'nai B'rith, APAC, and from literally... Uh, from uh, Moisha House to uh, Chabad to every, literally every Jewish organization in this country, the RJC, they're run by AEPI brothers. And this is not accidental. This is by design. Not only are our guys running it, they're the number one, number two, number three, number four, and they, they gravitate to these Jewish organizations, run them, give opportunities to not only our, our brothers, but give opportunities to everybody. But they learned while they were in AEPI. They learned how to deal with people. They learned how to work hard. 
They learned how to be leaders. And now they're taking this literally every Jewish organization. You, you, I'm constantly involved. I'm on 11 boards and involved with, with, with a tremendous number of, of these organizations. And they are doing very well. I mean, this is, this is a prosperous, really a prosperous time. And, and our brothers are leading these organizations. And I, I love it. I mean, uh, it was just at the, uh, the IAC in, in Austin, uh, the uh, Israel Action Society there, and, and started by an AEPI, run now, by all the pre- they've had three presidents and since they started. All three AEPIs, and their children are AEPIs. We're seeing the fruits of, of my labor working hard over these 43 years. Um, to see that that our brothers are running the Jewish world. Yeah, I'm in a coaching program for the business I run. It's a data and analytics consulting firm, kind of like an agency type business model. And so I joined a coaching program of you know 200 business owners. There's coaches and then there's 200 business owners in the group that all run similar businesses, kind of distributed around the world. Mm-hmm. And someone in that group has a podcast and invited me to do an interview today at this time. And I was I was like I declined. I'm like I'm interviewing Andy at this time and. Uh, you know, that guy who invited me to this interview of this, you know, 200 similar, it was an AEPI. Of course. And uh, it, it, there's, it, no, a part we're. of me is surprised that that, ha- you know, it's just, I'm past the point of being surprised Correct. about that happening. Correct. I'm just like, of course, the other guy in this group I'm in, of these 200 people who all paid this, it's it a sort of expensive program to join. Of course, he's also an AEPI. You know, we, we had a uh, uh, conclave in, in, at, F, at FAU in Boca Raton couple years ago and um, we have career things for the undergrads where we bring in alumni leaders and uh, people that own businesses and and uh, so the, the the president of API there said well who are you gonna bring I said, well I'll bring um, a Bernie Marcus from Home Depot and I'll bring Mike Levin who's a top hotel guy in the world he ran the largest hotel company in the world, uh, Holiday Inn and Intercontinental and Crown Plaza and all these. And uh, I'll bring in the guy that, that uh, runs Ecolab. Ecolab is in every restaurant in, in, the, in the world. Okay? These are all a pie guys. And, and they're like, what? <laughs> these guys, these are like... Uh, like A-listers or, for a business I had, conference. I had, uh, I had Leon from Goldman Sachs, okay? You couldn't buy Leon's time. You you couldn't you couldn't call up and say, "Can I have an hour?" No, these would be six-figure, seven-figure keynotes. Zero, of course, for us. I mean, and they and these are all guys who sitting with the kids around a table, talking about their businesses and 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 uh, their their advice. You couldn't you couldn't pay for you couldn't buy it, and they love it because to them the the kids are like their grandchildren. They literally are, but they're they're amazing. They're literally amazing, and and nobody says no. Uh, I just set up a, an event for Wolf Blitzer with uh, from CNN. Uh, or yeah, we, we yeah. did. He and I disagree on some things politically, <laughs> but I love the guy. We've been friends for forty years. Uh, he was at uh, the Jerusalem Post before this, and APAC before that, and, and uh, ended up at, at CNN. And we've been friends uh, forever. He's just a terrific guy, and and I ask him to to events. Never says no. He's such a sweetheart. 
I had I had Mark Zuckerberg come to convention. I always forget uh, he was eighty five. Yeah, yeah, he's he was amazing. It's part of the movie, right? Yeah, he was in the movie. He was amazing. He was. He said, "I don't go anywhere. I don't speak here. I'm coming to Apai." He was fantastic. I mean, uh, supposed to make his plane that night. Said, "How will that more guys want to talk to me? I'm staying over." He's just just a real sweetheart. But all these these alumni, they remember, they had a great experience. They had an experience where they 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 felt I don't say courage, but confidence is really the right because of the group around them. They felt really good, and that's what fraternities do. Now, we didn't invent fraternities, to be, to be honest. It started in America in 1820. Uh, we're, we're almost a Johnny-come-lately in 1913. Yeah, exactly. The fraternity life and sorority life was very strong in America for almost 100 years before us. But we, they were, you know, once Jews started coming here and AEPI became the Jewish entity, uh, we became really the go-to the largest business leaders jewish business leaders political leaders uh, organizational leaders in america are all apis let's talk about kind of what like why do we think that is like what are we what, what and this is a lot of what i want to get into i, I don't sure. want this to come across the wrong way but i think like i mean the highlight reel is fun and we can do that all day and it's amazing and it's worth celebrating it's awesome but it's like for someone listening to this who you know it's not, I don't have a Jewish, necessarily a niched down Jewish podcast that the distribution's not exclusive sure. to Jewish people. Like what is, what are we teaching these people? Like what are the, like what's happening at AEPI besides just networking and kind of relationships that leads to all of these people becoming leaders? Well, in the chapter, because this is where it really is at, where people learn this, we, we take responsibility as primary. You know, it's a, a, you, there's a lot of things that you can join, clubs, that eh, you show up, you don't show up, fine. That's not the way it is. In, in, in API, you have a weekly meeting, you have to be there. You have dues, you have to pay. Now, hey, well, what, how, you know, uh, why, does, why do I have to pay dues? You have to pay dues because there's group events that you get to vote on and participate in and be part of the leadership, if you'd like, or that committee, and you have to pay those dues. Well, I don't really want to, oh, I didn't like the last sorority we had an event with, why should I? Because this is a group thing. It's a team. And when you're on a team, you have to play, and you have to show up, and you have to be responsible. And we take that seriously enough that if you don't play, and you don't show up, and you don't you don't do what you're supposed to, you're off the team. Oh, isn't that harsh? Well, you might call it harsh. I call it reality. Because in the real big boy world, they don't respond to, I don't think I want to show up today. I don't think I want to pay my electric bill. You know what they do? They shut it off. They shut your lights off. You know, you, you can't go, I used to tell the, when, a, when a kid became a newly elected treasurer. And I'd say, you know, the fraternity isn't a business. It's a fraternity, but there's business aspects which have to be run like a business. You can't go to to FPNL, and that's what we had in, in Florida, Florida Power and Light. Okay. You can't go and say to the to yeah. the to the nice woman behind the counter, "Well, I I can't pay our electric bill, but we have great brotherhood." <laughs> They're going to yeah. turn it off. 
you can't hide behind the flag of the fraternity and say, "I'm well, we have brotherhood, why should I have to pay? You have to pay because you get events that you voted on or you participated in. Well, I wasn't there to vote on it that day. Well, that's your loss. You still have to pay because in the real world, you have to pay your rent, you have to pay your mortgage, you have to pay your car payment. And now, the real secret sauce here, which beside the fact that I told you all about this responsibility, in the chapter, the, you're not an employee of the president or the treasurer. The strongest word the president can use or the treasurer can use with you is please. That's the strongest word he can use. You're not his employee. They don't, they don't pay you. There's no paycheck. However, if you don't pull your weight, you'll be out. And while that might sound like it's tough love, it is. And it's purposeful. And it makes you a better person. It makes well, I don't you think more, tough love's a bad thing. It's, it's a wonderful thing. But some people say, ah, you know, this is in today's day and age, tough love. Why, why don't we It's uh, make love, not war? Well, that sounds like a great phrase uh, in the 70s. But in the meantime, those people, unless they live in their parents' basement, okay, they have to go get a job. Yeah. They have to pay their MasterCard. MasterCard is going to shut you off if you don't pay it. And you need to learn these. And, and what better time to learn them than in college? When, when you have the, the interesting part of the fraternity and the sorority system is you have this tough love of having to do what you need to do. But you're not alone. You have a, a group that helps you. And sometimes people run into a family thing or a work thing, and the fraternity can float you and can, can help you, but not if you're running out on your responsibilities. Because bad things happen from sometimes, and that's the benefit of belonging to a group. Absolutely. However, not if you're playing games. Not if you're, you're, you're I, well, I can't pay my dues, you're telling the treasurer, but you're out every night and you're doing things you're not supposed to be doing. Right? That's not cool. Yeah. Because then you're hurting the group and you're hurting the team. Now, companies, I'll give you some statistics that are literally unbelievable. Okay, 85% of the Fortune 500 executives are Greek. Now, when I say Greek, I mean fraternity, sorority people. I'm not talking about Greek, Greek. And I'm also not talking about fraternities and sororities that are honorary or or professional. I'm talking about social fraternities and sororities. And these numbers come from the NIC, the North American Interfraternity Conference. They're not AIPI's numbers. They're the Greek world's numbers. Um, 71% of the, of the um, uh, Supreme Court justices, the uh, 92% of the who's who in America, I mean, every president except four since 1825 has been in a fraternity. I mean, uh, it's an amazing situation. Why is this? Because the fraternity system sort of has that confidence that it gives you, but it also has that responsibility that it teaches you in college. And what better time to learn than in college? And also, one thing that you'll find about fraternity people, they graduate college. Yeah. The numbers are 41% versus 59. You go into college and you do not join a fraternity or sorority. All of all people that join, that go to college, 
41% will graduate, will persist on to graduation. If you join a fraternity or sorority, it's 59%. It's a big difference. That's a big difference. And that's because you actually have a family. You have somebody there that wants you to come home, come back on Monday morning if you went home. You have some people to see, people, and, and a group that you have a responsibility to take part in. And, and, and you, you raised your hand and said, I'll be on the social committee. Okay, that means you have to show up. That means you have to have ideas. You have to participate. You have to sometimes go get ice yeah, and sometimes go get cups and, and, and not do all of the, the, the great jobs of going to the sororities and making, making the, the events. Sometimes you got to do, you have to go do the crappy jobs and get ice. And it teaches you a little bit of humility. And that's a good thing to learn. And also about philanthropy. Philanthropy in, in fraternities and sororities is dramatic. Millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. Is right. A by raises millions of dollars, just us. But together, the the Greek system, dramatic, and and it's because fraternity and sorority guys and, and and gals for the most part, we're almost finished products. I mean, we're we're people that are relatively social. You know, we're 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 pretty much have a lot of advantages. That means you got to give back. You can't take that for granted. I uh, we can come back to some some Greek life topics. A lot of this show is about business and it's about entrepreneurship, and it's pretty popular in kind of the business and entrepreneurship space to stay like apolitical. I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Ferriss, but Tim Ferriss is like a major kind of thought leader in like entrepreneurship, and I kind of have this theory that he convinced like a whole generation of entrepreneurs to not care about politics because he wrote this book. You know, the four hour work weeks, the book, and basically he's like, stop watching the news, save three hours a day, stay sane, grow your business. It's kind of like, I think how a lot of people interpret that book. And so they turn off the news because it's, you know, a lot of it's distracting, it's inflammatory by nature, and it just keeps you kind of like off your path in terms of like focusing on what needs to be done in your career or something. And so that's something that I've heard like me over the past several years have taken fairly literally. And I don't know if that's kind of a good thing or a bad thing. So this is a question, like a very personal question I want to ask you in terms of like, a lot of young entrepreneurs see politics as very distracting, right? It's like, this is going to distract me from getting those extra clients, figuring out how to get my business, figuring out how to like have kind of this independent career early in my life. Do you, what is your take on if like, as like a young entrepreneur, if getting overly involved in politics and like watching the news distracts you, or if that is an important responsibility that is like worth getting caught up in the mix or not? Well, because uh, I, I, I have I, I have that tension very you, often. You somewhat I, answered the question when you said overly involved. That that's the okay. That's exactly where it stands. You have to be a moron not to be not only involved in some form of politics, local and national, because your business is going to be affected by whatever these people in Washington or in uh, whatever whatever Phoenix, state in Tallahassee. Yeah. Whatever they vote on that's going to affect your business, if you're not part of the, the, the process, you're going to be on the wrong end of that process, which will affect your business. I mean, it's lunacy to, to, to discount it. Now, overly, for sure. And, and if anybody is, is saying this to, um, say the distraction is the word you used. Mm-hmm. I have a hard time walking the line because I, mean, I could get 
caught up and then I get in and I see all these things that are upsetting me that are happening in the world. And, and it's like, well, I also want to kind of create this financial security for, through my business. So I have more time later to kind of be like a more sure. full-time advocate. And it's kind of like navigating. Well, the- na- navigating overly distraction. That's, that's really where, where it's at is making sure your time management is spent on what it needs to be spent on best. Should you work on your business with your your customers and getting new clients and 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 putting in the time? Of course, you have to balance that. However, with knowing what's on the horizon, if they're politically going to do things, whether it affects the the roads or whether it affects travel or insurance or regulatory regulations that are going to affect your business. If you're not part of the game, you're the recipients of whatever they do. And that could harm you or put you out of business. I mean, it has to be a, a, a healthy mix that you need to be cognizant of what's going on. You don't have to be a player. You don't, you don't have, you could also pay people to, to do that, to, to be players. Um, but you need to be aware. You need to know how is this going to affect me if X, Y, and Z happens. Um, you absolutely have to be uh, part of that. Um, don't let it distract you, but be informed. It's crazy not to be informed. I want to ask some additional questions. You said over the years, you know, you've hired uh, like hundreds of people. What did you look for in like the young people that you hired for? Like, what did you see? Was it intuitive? Was it? One word, initiative. That's, that's, you can sum it all up. Brains, that's nice. They look good in a shirt. That's nice. They can speak well. That's nice. All bonuses. Initiative, you can't beat initiative into someone. They either have it or they don't. That's just the way it is. And people with initiative, they're going to go far and they're going to get the job done. And they're not going to give you excuses. They're going to get it done. Uh, if you hire people that they have, they, they do look good in a the shirt. They, they do speak. They're very glib. They speak very well. They're going to speak with lots of excuses about why they didn't get the job done. Initiative, you find a way to win. And whether that you can do that in three hours or 13 hours, you put in whatever the time and the effort is to win. Now, whatever job it is, it's still a win. Whatever the, the profession is, you have to win at the end of the day. Now, win, not a game per se, but you have to take the word win, accomplish, uh, sell. Uh, whatever whatever the, the, the role is, the person with initiative, you know, the, the best real estate agents, you might say, well, I'm looking to buy a condo on Miami Beach but I, I work lots of hours. I'm only available at, at 7 in the morning. I'm only available. I, I get the next three days I have dinner appointments. It's 11, 11 at night. And your most real estate agents would say, well, sorry, bub. Go see somebody else. I, I, don't, I don't do things at 7 a.m. or 11 p.m. Well, the guy with initiative will meet you at 11 p.m. because he wants to make the sale. I'm not there for me. I'm there for my customer. I hired people with API who were there for the kids, who were there for the chapters, not for themselves. 
Now, yes, you have to you have to take care of yourself, and you have to you have to get up in the morning, you have to brush your teeth, you have to do all the things that everybody does. But the primary in your mind has to be how am I going to serve the people that that I work with, not work for. He doesn't have to serve me. He has to serve his customer. He has to serve the master, the president of the chapter. You know, I would train all of my guys over the summer. And they would say, right before they go out and have a session, and right before convention in August. And inadvertently, somebody would always ask this question. Andy, you, you, uh, you taught us all this great stuff. We know what to do. But what do we really do? <laughs> I mean, and I love that question. I, I, I always sort of prompt him to make sure I get that question. I said, well, you remember when you were president of your chapter? And somebody from National was going to come in, and, and the, the guy from National, put yourself in their head, like you did when a year ago or two years ago, and what did you want him to help you with? What did you want him to, 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 to teach you to be a, how to be a better president? Because that's what you wanted when the National guy came to town. You wanted to learn from him. You wanted him to help you. That's what you need to do. That's your job. You're there for him. You're there for your customer. And that's how I hired people, hoping that they would do that, that they had the initiative, and they would get the job done. I talk to chapters all the time about the rush committee. So important. Again, nice to, to look good, nice to be able to speak. All of those yeah, things are important. I don't think important. people on the outside would believe the complexity that goes into the API rush training. <laughs> it is it is or, uh, maybe not even complexity, but sophistication, because it's it not is, necessarily complicated. It is it's just not complicated, but it is sophisticated. It is sophisticated. And I would say all the time, it's say, well, this guy is popular, and and uh, and and this guy, you know, has girls around him all the time, and this guy is is so cool. I'll trade all of those things for the guy on the rush committee who's going to do his job. He's got fifty freshman to see he's going to go see those 50 freshmen again he looks good in a shirt it's a bonus but getting the job done that's what's important i don't want a guy who's going to see 10 people because he's so such a, a celebrity see the cool people right yes. yeah. and the other 40 who could have been you <laughs> doesn't get seen or rushed or brought to api or or one of those 40 being a, a future possible next president because he was off doing other things. I want a guy who's going to do the job. And initiative is, again, you can't beat it into people. They either have it or they don't. And it's, I don't know whether it's their, their, their parents or, you know, some teacher in first grade affected them. Um, it's likely their parents, obviously, a family. Um, but along the way, when the people are very young, um, it's something that, that either occurs to them or they, they learn it in some fashion. I'm going to get the job done. And that's the people you hire. What they know, you can teach them. Education is, uh, you teach, teach anybody anything. Initiative, that's a different story. <laughs> One thing I've heard you say is that, and I related very, uh, I don't, very strongly to this when I heard you say it, was that you feel like basically since the time you were like 10, 11, or 12, you kind of had like an adult's brain, like in a child's body your whole life. <laughs> like you just kind of feel like you were born 
with like a 40 year old's brain. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I felt my whole, I've always been like a very adult person as well. Less yeah. so like childish in a lot of ways. When did you feel like that equalized in terms of like when your peers got to like how you felt in terms of like maturity and beliefs? Like when did that kind of level out? Well, my, my father had a, a restaurant and I, I liked working the takeout. Uh, it was a fast food thing. I liked the, the takeout part very, very much. And I started working there when I was nine. And by the time I was 11, I was so good at, I wouldn't even use the register anymore. I just did it in my head. I was so good with math and so good with, now not algebra, but but quick math. And also waiting on customers and also having the order of people, what this item would be done quicker than the other one. And I have to put people in a, in a line. And I, I just learned very quickly how to organize. I, so that's the rush chair's job, by the way, is yeah. to be a, to be the reading a room, the, right. And no, reading who, a room who needs to be put in what order, being I mean, hosting a party, right. It's I, all the same. It's, I say the traffic cop. Yeah, exactly. It's a traffic cop. So I learned that very it's young. Picking up on 20 subtle things happening at once and, and most of shifting my, everything around. Absolutely. My peers in junior high and high school were completely oblivious to this. And I, I was, yeah, I was born older. I'm the oldest son of four. So I was, I was born older, um, the oldest, and I always had a responsibility for my younger brothers. I always felt that. But in working in the store, I, I got this idea of organization. And my peers really just didn't care. They, they, you know, you go through life, and if you're not pushed, or you're not, you're not enabled, or you're not put in a situation where you can do this, you don't. You, you, you know, you might be on a team. I played. I played hockey. I mean, you're on a team. You learn a lot of things as well. In Boston, I'm from Boston, um, but it probably took till till junior year of college that I that people started saying, "Boy, I better learn how to talk to adults. I better learn how to organize my time, because if I don't, I'm going to be in trouble." Now, people don't really think about. This freshman year, so I don't think about time management. They do for their their classwork, but not for everything else. And it starts at some point to dawn on them that not only am I going to have to buy a car, sign a lease for an apartment, get a job, uh, pay my Mastercard, and I mean, it, it starts dawning on people. I better be a lot more organized than I am. But I was always that way since I was, I think, really 11. <laughs> <laughs> it's done me very well, by the way. Yeah, I get that question a lot in terms of like this podcast and like the business I run and people are like, you know, people are surprised I started this like so many years ago when I was still in college. And I'm like, it took me one internship to realize that I wasn't going to have the type of career I wanted in a traditional way. So I started kind of immediately feeling like I have to do it on traditional things. It's just it, some... Some people, and then there's other lessons that I've not learned yet that the world has kind of thrown at me 20 times that I still have not fully learned. It's just some lessons stick after like one for, for different people. Right. They just learn right. the lesson after one experience that kind of shows them the opposite example. And for other people, it takes many, many, many repetitions. And, and by the way, uh, failure is not such a, a bad thing. Uh, one of our, I have uh, one of our brothers come to Conclave years ago in North Carolina, um, he first thing he said, I'm the the biggest loser in the room. And uh, he had 
started with with his literally he used to work for ABC's Wild World of Sports and brought bought the the um, Olympics to television. Um, very accomplished guy, and he took every penny from all of you know borrowed from his family and friends, and started something called uh, the uh, uh, it was an alternative to the NFL. Okay. And it fell completely this flat. Got like on Herschel space. Walker back it's in the, the US, day. USFL. Okay. Was that the thing with Trump or is that no, something is, else? No, this oh, is another different. Is, you weren't okay. born yet. Okay. Okay. You were. You were. weren't even a thought to your parents. Okay. Got it. A long time ago, forty years ago, forty-five years ago, the USFL. You can look it up. It's a crazy story. The millions of dollars he got from everybody he ever ever met. Okay, fell flat on his face. So he was the biggest loser in the world, walking around. But you learn from that. Uh, and, um, you know, you, later on, you, you start thinking and processing um, all of the things that you, you get out of that. Um, and then he started um, um, the, uh, my, I'm having a brain fart here, you're saying the Olympics on TV? Or yeah, this... he, no, he, he put the Olympics on TV before oh, okay. that. Okay, so he used that um, success to get the... Yeah, it was just... Okay. Yes. Uh, 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 then he started this small company that you know as uh, ESPN. Okay. So he did pretty well. And I had him at, come to Conclave to talk to 500 kids about this. First thing he says, I'm the biggest loser in the room. I lost everybody's money that I knew, my family. I eventually paid everybody back because ESPN did pretty well. Some years later. Uh, exactly right. But he didn't let it you know, Absolutely. destroy him. He learned. And so from a young age, if you can, you can, doesn't matter if you fail at things. It matters. And Vince Lombardi used to say a lot of things about getting up again and you know, getting back on the horse. But that's what you have to do. Yeah, the, the now, only some way people, to fail in entrepreneurship is just to stop trying to. Oh, correct. Exactly. I mean, that's, it's not. That's, it's not each project. It's the entire career. And and that's path. one of the things that the fraternity is so good at, is you can, you can fail at some responsibility you took on. You can host a bad party. You can yeah. host some. You can, but you're not going to be fired from the world, okay? And because it's pre, you know, where you have. A car and a job and an apartment and and and, and maybe a wife. Lose. Yeah, there's okay? not much to lose. And a wife. Yeah, yeah. Well, you have to have family. It's you can be fired from there and still be okay, and get up again. And now I say, well, maybe I wasn't born for the social committee. Maybe I should be on the athletic committee or the housing <laughs> committee. Or maybe I should be the house manager. Maybe I should do something like that. And you know, putting parties together is not my thing. And you learn. But you learn without it costing you something, you know, a month's pay or a year's pay or everyone, all of your friends, you know, bar mitzvah money. <laughs> so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's one of the good things about fraternity life is that confidence and that, that, that um, uh, the cohesion that comes from all that brotherhood allows you to feel confident to get up, get back on the horse and ride again. One thing I've heard about you is that you are really good at kind of these subtle hacks. So I guess like in the 2000s, there was kind of an arbitrage where you insisted on renting cars from Canada Correct. instead of like America <laughs> and that you're like the hotel points guy. 
Like what yes. are some current examples of like kind of, I don't want to say trivial, but like silly small things that like no one would think to like take the effort to rent the cars from Canada and then go oh, across wow. the board. Like what would be something like, like that today? Um, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, the, the, the Canada car thing was so cool because not only was it half the price, instead of renting cars in Indianapolis, Toronto was you know, maybe seven hours away. Not only was it half the price, it was half the price and Canadian money, which was 60% more, less. So besides that, it was, it was so dirt cheap um, that people would say, some people would say, ah, it's a lot of extra work. Yeah, seven hours one, one time and you're renting a car for a year. I mean, because yeah, these are for the field consultants, for that, the are, consultants. that are traveling the country full year. time. Right. Yeah. It's half price. And then the half price that you're paying is 60% off. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, yeah, for a year's rental. For a year's oh, rental, you're talking about a one day driving shift. 300 grand. I mean, an enormous amount of money. Across the company budget with 10 consultants exactly. or 20 consultants. Enormous exactly. amount of, of money difference. But people are like, oh, it's, I would tell my colleagues this in the other fraternities. Ah, it's, it's a lot of work. To, no, it isn't a lot of work. It's a lot of savings. With that money, you can hire more people or you can do more things for your chapters or, or you can throw more events. Um, today, the, the points in the airlines and the hotels is if you use it wisely, you can have other events happen as a result. In other words, now uh, it's not a manipulation because you're not manipulating anything. It just is the game. They exist. Yeah. So when you're dealing with a Marriott or a Hilton or a Hyatt or an IHG, uh, you know, uh, the Holiday Inn Company, um, they have so many points that allow you. So now I bring in speakers and, and they're staying in that hotel for nothing. And airlines, I'm flying in people, they stay for nothing. Or I'll be able to have 20 chapters who just cannot afford a second room for conclave that will pay for those rooms because we have points. And we accumulate these points and we're on top of these daily. And it's a little bit of work, but the, 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 the payoff is dramatic. I mean, you're, you're, you're buying everything at, first of all, because... Because you're you're using their the same companies, you're getting an insider price to begin with. So you're only paying and loyalty and seventy yeah. or eighty percent of what Joe Schmo would pay, because you're using their card, and they that's a better price. That's number one. It's an insider price, and then you're taking twenty twenty to twenty five percent in these points, putting them aside for a rainy day or for for times when you really need it. And that can be 50, 100 grand at the end of a year. And that's that's a lot of rooms. Or it's a lot of kids that you can take out it's on a, a scholarship. A lot, yeah, exactly right. To come on their exactly own. right. I mean, so uh, I've perfected this <laughs> uh, after 43 years. I've perfected this. And I teach this. And I also teach to our new guys every year. We have a a day-long session with, with Andy Borans about the road system in the country. You have the highways. And the highways and, the, and hotels and airlines. And, you know, with the airlines themselves as well, there's ways of 
of uh, uh, of buying tickets that you would and I first thing I said I'll take give you an example of what I would say uh, Miami Los Angeles you're going from Miami to Los Angeles and then you've got stuff to do um, in uh, in Phoenix and uh, in Tucson so I'm gonna just drive those things I'm gonna end up in Denver because I'm going to visit the chapter at University of Colorado. And then I have to go back to Miami. So people say, oh, well, I would say, how do you buy those tickets? Well, you buy a ticket from Miami to Los Angeles, and then you buy a ticket from from Denver to back to Miami. And I said, well, that's a round trip. I said, that's not a round trip. I said, well, it is a round trip. The airlines fare that as a round trip if you know how to buy it. Because the... The area between L.A. and Denver, that those amount of miles, is less than either one of the two legs, Miami to L.A. and Denver to Miami. So that that opening area is allows you to buy a much less expensive round trip ticket that actually allows you to go Miami, L.A., Denver, Miami. So then, you, are you? And it fares, you just Don't get on the first. Then you just skip the first leg of the flight. No, no, you're flying from Miami to L.A., and then you're driving to wherever you're. And a month later, or two weeks later, you're going to board a flight in Denver back to Miami. But you're buying it initially as a round trip. Say, well, that's not a round trip. Don't you have to go Miami, L.A., L.A. back to Miami? Well, you can do that, but the gap, that hole between LA and Denver, even though it's a gap, it still allows you to buy that as a round trip, which is considerably less expensive than two one ways. And again, as an individual- People don't know that. And when you're booking flights for tens of thousands of people or humongous staffs. And I would just say, so I I taught them that and said, okay, you're going now Atlanta, San Francisco. And then you're gonna make your way down, you have you have, we have seven chapters in the Bay Area and Cal Poly SLO, which is two hours south of San Francisco and then an hour and a half south of there is Santa Barbara. And you're going to end up in L.A. where we have four chapters in L.A. So you're going to buy Atlanta, San Francisco, and then you're going to come home uh, L.A. LA yeah. to Atlanta. Is that a round trip? You say, well, yes, it's a round <laughs> trip because the area between San Francisco and L.A., that gap – is smaller than any one of the other two legs. And then if you buy, and I teach them how there's 30-day fares, 21-day fares, 14-day fares, 7-day fares, 3-day fares. And then they're staying over a Saturday night, how that affects. And these are dramatic differences in prices. But some people don't you know These that. guys have to manage a budget for their own they getting ready. Yeah. They have to learn that. Say, well, I'll go on, on Wednesday and I'll, I'll come back on Saturday. Well, if you come back on Sunday, stay over Sunday, it's $300 less for the fare. Oh, really? Yeah, you can stay with your girlfriend or stay stay with a friend or stay with stay in the chapter another day and save $300. Like, really? He said, yeah, really. And you teach them this. And they love it. They love learning about, and by the way, they all use this. They may have told you. They use this in their life. Oh, yeah, why constantly. not? Constantly. Once you teach them things about travel, people love to learn about that with hotels and airplanes and all. 
they learn they use that for the rest of their life and all the things that i teach people about rush russian recruiting is life it is you want to get somewhere and we talked a little bit about uh, mgm or what used to be little mr lowe's and in in b school and business school they teach you about little mr lowe's little mr lowe's came up with this idea many years ago when when he started the the company they used to they used to the movie show theater. movies mm-hmm. in people's living rooms with a with Hand a crank. crank thing and they showed it on the wall in someone's living room little mr lowe's came up with the idea of a theater lots of seats a big screen powerful light behind to 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 project the the movie onto a big screen so what do people do when they come up with an idea is as you may have done, they talked to consultants. And consultants said great ideas to little Mr. Lowe's. They said, you can sell hot dogs and drinks and popcorn. By the way, that's where popcorn came from, popular in America. And uh, he says, uh, yeah, but I'm not going to sell popcorn and hot dogs until I have asses in the seats. His line, yeah, asses in the seats. That's what Rush is. I tell the kids all the time, it doesn't matter whether you have Hunt's ketchup or Heinz ketchup. I hope you have Heinz ketchup. But it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you have mustard or you forget the mustard or you have a, the greatest party in the world or a semi-great party in the world. If you don't have anybody there, it doesn't matter. It's asses in the seats. That's what Rush is. To so spend time on getting people to come to the event and whether or not you have Doritos or you don't have Doritos isn't going to seal the deal. But if they're not there, they're not joining. If they're there, you got an odds-on chance. So little Mr. Lowe's, asses in the seats. And then that became Charlie Moskowitz's company of MGM. And uh, the lion, the whole thing. Exactly. This is, uh, a, all A-pie. But, but uh, Lowe's, little Mr. Lowe's wasn't an A-pie. Uh, I wish he was, but asses in the seats is what recruiting is. It's what business is. If you don't have customers, it doesn't matter whether or not it's a theater or what it is. It's asses in the seats is a, a metaphor for customers. You do whatever you have to do. And the, the, the consultants will tell you all kinds of great things that you pay them for. In the end, it's customers first. And that's what I teach everybody in Rush with the Rush Committee. Again, it looks, I'd love to have a kid who, who's uh, got a lot of friends. He's very popular on the Rush Committee. I'll trade that away for someone who's going to go get me asses to come to my Rush event. Exactly. And it's people with initiative who do that. There we go. It all, so, it's it all, all connects. It's, it's cohesive. It's, it's very cohesive. It's all a circle. Uh, we're coming up on time here. One question. I, sure. Maybe, might be the final question. Maybe one small quick one after. But you mentioned you know you have like forty thousand names in your head. You have you know all these people you've met. What do you do to kind of maintain and grow your network? Is that a very deliberate exercise, or kind of just as your personality said, you make five connections a day between job seekers and employers constantly? So it's Sam, who running used... through the you're in the shower and you're like, oh, this kid I met three weeks ago, and this it just hits you, and you it get out of the shower and exactly. you I put them send to... the texts, and then put you get back together. in the shower. Yeah, not texts because I do emails because oh, sure. texting is 
is is I, I don't like to do that. So Sam, who worked worked for me at at API at the foundation, set up this thing with birthdays. So I I get everybody's birthdays, and I know exactly what to do. So I, I couldn't find this on my own, but he, for he you, sets this it is up. Probably, I mean, we, we talk about probability or not probability, but but math here. You're probably at one a day, right? If you're if you're maintaining a network of a thousand people, it's going to be someone's birthday every single day. Oh, I, I, I like 11, 12, 15 a day yeah. of people that I'm in touch with. Uh, but that that's the only thing I really do that's technical uh, on my my you know computer laptop as I do that. But that's the only technical thing I do. The rest is in my head. With with now knowing you, things will come up in the future. Uh, with people that I interact with about podcasts, about data analytics, as you mentioned, I try and you know, as as we were taught, two ears, one mouth. You listen twice as much as you talk, and I'll have something that'll come that I'll, I'll listen to that'll come my way that I'll call you one day and say, uh, Lewis, I got somebody you should talk to that might help you in your career, and you'll be like, How the hell do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. I remember it because I I love it. That's that's one of the things my favorite, you know, of all I do during the day, my favorite thing is to put people together. I put people who are looking for jobs, looking for experiences, looking to make this friend or that friend or get into this business or get into that, put them together like crazy. Because I, I know all these people and and I've known them since they were 18. That's, that's the, yeah. the best part. And I also saw them as leaders. I saw them in their chapters. I saw them grow up. And I watch, I watch when the kids, when I, when I visit chapters, I watch when people raise their hand or when people speak. I watch when, when, the, when the, uh, everybody else stops talking and they listen to that guy, they, the people that get the, the respect in the chapter. Those are the people I key in on because they're going to be very successful. And I want to get to know them and I want to be able to help them so that, quite literally, Lewis, they can help others. That's really what it's about. It's about empowering people to do well so that they will do well. I've, and then, those I, are, and then they're in a place to help others do well. I, I've consulted with people in business things that have made them amounts of money you, you can't even think about. And all the time, I want to give you, I want to give you, nope. I won't take anything. Give it to API. But I'm going to call on you many times in your life to help some kid. And I do that all the time. And they do. Nobody says no. People say that to me all the time. My staff says, no one says no to you. I said, because I help them. They remember. And whether or not it's Mark Zuckerberg, who I helped when he was in the chapter, mm -hmm. he remembered. Okay. And to... To, to today, to someone wanting a congressman, uh, one of our congressmen, Josh Gottheimer, to come to their event to Georgetown, I kind of make that happen. Yeah, because that kid was a is a great kid in the chapter, and Josh, of course, I worked with since he was 18 years old, and he never says no ever. And and it's these relationships that you build, and the trust that you built, that later on I can call them day or night, no matter whether they're a zillionaire or not, and ask them to help somebody, and the answer is yes. I think this will be the final question here. Sure. Uh, you just mentioned a really important point. You know, you've known tons of people, tens of thousands, from the time they were 18 
until however old they are now. Right. What kind of crucial decisions or things like in people's like say early to mid twenties were important in terms of like setting them up for like not necessarily success, but just like happy, fulfilled, like very happy adult lives. Not necessarily what sep- separated people who made a lot of money or not, but just people who like you knew them when they're eighteen. This is kind of the, what they focused on, and like they're eighteen to twenty five, and then they're happy in their forties now. I would say the 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 most often the discussion that I'll have with people is about job opportunities. They'll ask, do, do you think I'll do well at this? Now, I do a lot of recommendations to companies for people. And I, I'm very honest with people. I won't recommend them if it's not the right thing for them. Because I, you know, to the best of my ability, because if they, they you know, if they zero out, it's going to hurt their confidence going forward. And they're not in the chapter anymore. They're 25 years old. Okay? So you don't want to have that happen. So you have to give people honest advice about jobs. So the, the, to, to answer your question, the real being honest and not in, in, what, in what somebody you know in fantasy land tells them they can accomplish or not accomplish. I have a guy right now in, in Israel, he's put together a group, one of our brothers in Israel from Hebrew U, put together a group of soldiers and, and they're doing this religious thing and he's like, you know, get me in touch with, with other Jewish organizations uh, so they can sort of buy the program and, and, and take it on because it's become too much for him. So I'm, I'm shopping that around to other people who are doing that. And he says, first, before that, he said, I really want to do this and, and keep it up. And I said, just so you understand, this is about fundraising. If you want to keep this up, you have to fundraise. I don't think fundraising is your shtick. You're great with the program, and you're great with, with, with the soldiers, and you're great with the, with the, with the um, content. But the big boys, they, they know about fundraising. They have teams of people. Unless you want to be a fundraiser, your thing is going to stop right here. And he, it was a tough pill for him to take, but that's the truth. The truth is people don't think they, they think they know a lot about various professions and things they're going to go into, but they, they don't. They do some research. They don't do the complete research. And I end up being um, devil's advocate. Get back to tough love. The tough love and the devil's advocate. And I'll tell you something, Lewis, they appreciate that. Years later. Maybe not day of. To put it, I was in Israel. I put uh, one of our brothers in Israel together. We wanted to do some business in Singapore. We have a brother from Illinois who graduated a few years ago, works in Singapore, and now he's very successful. Put them together, and when I, I was in Israel two weeks ago, and he, he he's like runs over to me. We had a big alumni event. He said, do you know what you saved me by putting me together with this guy? I mean, I learned things. I had this crazy idea about what I was going to do in Singapore until I found out the straight dope from a brother who lives there and what the real story is. And you save me and my family a fortune. And sometimes it's devil's advocate. Sometimes it's it's putting them together with people who are also going to give them advice they may not want to hear, but they need to hear. So that's my role. My my role is I'm A Pi forever, and I'm gonna you're an A Pi brother, I'm gonna help you. And as I said a little bit before, I know we're getting close to time, but 
within our Facebook group yeah. of, of brothers who 15,000 who help each it's other. The Business Network we Facebook have group. The Business Network Facebook group, which is amazing. Uh, Lauren Nelson did an incredible job. He was a, I knew him as an undergrad at, at, at Santa Barbara and he was IFC president. He's a fantastic young man. And um, not only with that, we've started within the group a VC situation where we're helping brothers. And I've talked to my colleagues at the other fraternities and sororities. Nobody has this. Yeah. We've put together the Scotch funds, the Scotch capital. We've Scotch put together capital. millions of dollars for our brothers, for their business. And it's not, it can be your, your sister or your cousin, but it has to be you or your family comes up with a business and you can apply for this money and the group. And I'm not, I'm not on the e-board that makes these decisions. I'm, You're not on the investor I'm committee. A, yeah, yeah, I'm not on the investor I'm a donor. I'm a part of the, the, that. And whatever, they, they, they invest in all these kinds of, of things. And again, like, like Bernie told me one day with Home Depot, only one has to work out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and that's, that's what we do. And that's brothers helping brothers. So I'm thrilled about this Scotch Capital business and – and that's Jeff Zisner who runs that, um, which is again erupted from the business group. And Jeff Zisner runs that in Los Angeles, and it's, it's fabulous. I mean, all things to help AEPI. Well, I think that's a great place to close things out. This has been a blast. I think people are going to have enjoyed listening to it. Great. Thank you so much, Andy. My pleasure, and thank you for for calling on me to do this. I'm I'm thrilled. That's going to close out this conversation with Andy Borens, former executive director of Alpha Epsilon Pi and now executive director emeritus of the Alpha Epsilon Pi Foundation. Andy, it was fascinating. I'm so glad to have that chance to sit down and talk to him in depth for an hour. I've met him over the years at a number of events, but never had the chance to really sit down with him and spend that much one-on-one time. So that was a great experience for me. I hope you had as much fun as I did. Three takeaways, and then we'll be moving on. The first one is just all of the AEPI staff are very, very, very good at sales. And not just the staff, but even the rush chairs, et cetera, because it's been built into the AEPI process to teach every member, especially during rush, the fundamentals of sales. And that's been a huge reason, in my opinion, and Andy's opinion, why so many AEPI alumni have gone on to be successful in society in various aspects. The second takeaway is how clear Andy's mission is and how clear his passion is because of the why of AEPI. He is dedicated to building the future Jewish leaders of the world. And that is just such a big mission that there's it's never over, right? AEPI can be strong, but it can always be stronger. The community that he's so deeply involved in can always have more alumni doing bigger things and always having a bigger impact with philanthropy, etc. Uh, so it was really cool for me because a lot of people are like, you know, why have you spent your whole life working for a fraternity? But when you frame it like that, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when you frame it in terms of the overall mission and what API is accomplishing on an international scale, you can understand why it's been so impactful and so meaningful him, so meaningful to him for, for decades. And the third takeaway, this is one of my favorite ones to talk about all the time on the show because we hear it all the time. But one of the best ways to open doors for yourself is to open doors for others. I said this in the introduction as well, but it's just such a crazy thing to think about that Andy said he literally helps on average five people get jobs every single day just because of his network within API. He's continuously doing favors, connecting brothers to other brothers and connecting members and alumni to students. You know, someone needs an internship and someone needs an intern, someone needs an employee and someone needs a job. And just those kinds of opportunities happen every single day when you're at the helm of such a large organization. And it's led to a lot of goodwill and power 
uh, when I say power, I mean ability to get things done for Andy to be able to reinvest that goodwill and those favors into growing the fraternity into the organization that it is today. That is everything I have to say about this conversation with Andy from AEPI. Again, absolute blast. Thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you're subscribed if you want to know about the next episode. And otherwise, I will see you there. Have a good one. Bye-bye.